Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. Great actresses, all of them. And they are Catherine Deneuve, Nanda Sheen, Mary McDowell in Passionfish, Michelle Pfeiffer in Lovefield, Susan Sarandon in Lorenzo's Oil, and Emma Thompson in Howard's End. And the Oscar goes to Emma Thompson for Howard's End. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1993 ceremony year win Best Actress for Emma Thompson in Howard's End. If you are a listener on this podcast, you know that when I originally talked about this year, I think it was the second or third episode release that I ever did of this podcast two years ago, we were discussing the Best Supporting Actress win for My Cousin Vinny for Marissa Tomei. We actually ended up selecting Marissa Tomei. Correctly. Uh, and I correctly and um i remember complaining so much about howard's end and i gotta tell you for these listeners if anybody hated me in that moment you know i'm kind of hating myself a little bit because i am a converted believer that this was actually a really good movie and i actually enjoyed howard's end and vanessa redgrave did not piss me off uh, the way that she did the last time. So I, I came into this movie with fresh eyes. So if you've already listened to me rant about Howard's end um, in the first or second episode and you thought, oh, he has no idea what he's talking about, you're 100% right because I feel like this time around I had a greater appreciation for it. So, you know, we have a fresh perspective. So if this is, you know, your opportunity to maybe see me in a new light, if you really disliked my opinion about Emma Thompson or Howard's end, I think that you might be in for a good episode. So um, today I am joined by... Um, a friend, he is a comedian, and this is very interesting. He captions describe video for the blind. Uh, it's Josh Murray. Hi, Josh. Hi, Kyle. How are you? I am so good, and I am so happy that you were able to do this, because the last time that I saw you was in Ottawa when I was headlining the Absolute Comedy Club, and then you were doing the comedy competition there. You did very, very well, and then you ended up making it to the finals of the competition, right? That's right. Oh, how did that go? I mean, I didn't win, but it was a very even and fun <laughs> week. Uh, we actually all won at least a night. I ended up winning two of them. I was oh, good for you. I was very backloaded. Uh, the, the back half, I was basically a, a contender, but I had already whiffed my shot. But Simone was super nice, the winner. And uh, I'm pretty sure she even just sent us all a few of our sets, which is super cool. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's really, really nice. I'm glad to hear that you did win some of the nights. I have been in that competition. I know what it's like and it's stressful, but like, I'm sure you're glad that it's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eight shows in six nights is uh, something. Yeah. Imagine having to do 45 minutes. That's um, a lot of, I know, I know. Yeah. You know. Um, I know. Um, okay. So 1993 ceremony at the Oscar. So best actor went to Al Pacino for scent of a woman. That was always a career Oscar, but again, that's a different podcast. Best supporting actor went to Gene Hackman for unforgiven best supporting actress went to Marisa Tomei for my cousin Vinny, as we both just established that she should have won for that, even though they said that they shouldn't, but clearly they didn't watch the other movies. Best director went to Clint Eastwood for unforgiven and best picture went to unforgiven. Um, also for Clint Eastwood was the main producer on that one. So um, I 
coming into this, I always like to ask my guests, you know, like why they picked a certain year. And um, you had you had two options for me. And I remembered that this was one of them. And I can't remember who your other option was. Uh, it was the one that a lot of people call uh, the best lineup ever, which was Ellen Burstyn's win for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Because it's also got like That's Jenna right. Rollins and A Woman yes. Under the Influence and all these all these rave performances, but it's also a pretty undeniable actress and winner, and a lot of movies I haven't seen. But this year, um, I just think is really interesting because it's kind of a weird year, and there's this running theme of like, uh, other than maybe Lorenzo's Oil, all these movies about. Uh, bigotry or like classism or racism in some way and like different groups and i i also think that there's a lot of actresses who have really interesting career narratives here mm, absolutely and i find that this group of nominees it does seem like a little random in some cases but obviously we will get into it um, I just very quickly, before we jump into it, have to apologize and thank my Best Actress listeners. I obviously have not um, had an episode out the last couple of weeks because um, for the last month and a half, uh, I've been doing um, television production stuff. I have been on the road. Um, I went to um, I went to Louisiana for um, a bachelor party. I've just had an insane like month and a half, and I, I tried to get as many episodes up as I could, but you know I'm not really getting paid for this. This is a labor of love. Um, so I try to be as consistent as I can of these episodes. But thank you guys so much for all the lovely messages that I received whenever I was not able to uh, publish an episode a couple weeks ago. Um, I will also give you guys a heads up. I will not be doing another episode in the next two weeks uh, because I will be shooting another television show um, out of province. And then I'm actually going to be up in the Arctic for an Arctic comedy festival for a little bit of October. So I won't have the opportunity to watch movies and record a podcast. Uh, I won't have room for this giant microphone in my gigantic bag. So um, I do apologize in advance. Um, but again, I'm not getting paid for this. So if you have a problem with that, suck a dick. Um, so let's just go ahead and, 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 jump, and jump into this. So um, let's talk about, and this, again, I always say this, it's never in any particular order. It's just the order that I just generally watch them in. Um, let's talk about Mary McDonald in Passion Fish. So first of all, a lot of these performances were very much just the performance was nominated and they were often in like kind of boring movies. I actually really enjoyed Passion Fish, but very, very quickly, just IMDb. What Passion Fish is about, after an accident leaves her a paraplegic, a former soap opera star struggles to recover both emotionally and mentally until she feels her newest nurse, who has struggle, uh, who has struggles of her own. And um, that's Alfre Woodward, who plays Chantel. And Mary McDonald, if you don't know, she's, uh, I mean, learning from Dances with Wolves. And whenever I was watching this movie, I loved how the first thing that you see is her waking up confused in the hospital and not realizing that she can't move her legs and she can't walk anymore. And so I think that was a really great way of getting the audience hooked into the story immediately. And you're like, she's confused. She's like, where am I? She's watching herself on TV um, with Angela Bassett. They're on a soap opera. I'd love to watch that soap opera, by the way. Oh, hell yeah. And, and um, you know, she wakes up confused and disoriented. And as an audience member, I appreciate that because I'm immediately hooked and I'm like, okay, this is great. 
Um, and then she ends up like going into Louisiana, which is um, actually where I just came from with the bachelor party. I went to New Orleans. I left with an infection. We don't need to talk about it. But when we were watching this uh, movie, it was very interesting watching uh, the Louisiana sort of um, lifestyle and, and like the, the scenery and stuff like that, especially since I was just coming from there. And um, Passion Fish is a movie that could easily be 30 minutes less. Overall, a pretty good movie. And Mary McDonald, I think, give, Mary McDonald, sorry, gives a career best and uh, never seen it before, but I enjoyed it very much. So, uh, Josh, what did you think about this movie and what did you think about Mary McDonald's performance? Okay, so my one apprehension doing this podcast and doing this lineup was what if Kyle doesn't like Passion Fish because I fucking love Passion Fish. <laughs> it's like the, it's the third time I've seen this movie and it's it's by this writer director John Sayles and I think of him as like the uh secret great American director cuz he makes okay. these super left-wing movies about like race relations and class relations and they are always like the better version of a bad Beatty movie like mm-hmm. it's we'll get to love field, but this, but this does race so much better than love field. But I also think it's more nuanced than a movie like the help. Like mm. I, I just think Alfred Woodard is such a real character here. Um, and the only false note I would have about Mary McDonald's performance is that Alfred Woodard might almost upstage her, but mostly I think it's just a really satisfying two hander and it's really actresses getting roles that are in a genre that would often be like Oscar bait, but mm-hmm. are so much more nuanced. And um, the parts of the movie and the structure that are a bit cliched are worth it because they are getting to like really enjoy themselves, really go to town. Not enough Angela Bassett, but there never is. I know. And um, and you, you pointed out maybe the best thing about it is that there's no first act before the injury and big turning point. They just drop you in. The version I watched, there wasn't even like a studio logo or anything. It's just Mary McDonald blinking and like trying to deal. Mm-hmm. And that was so cool. And it was so cool. It's a great way to hook in the audience. Also, I will say that Alfrey Woodard should have been nominated. I have seen, I did this Best Supporting Actress year. She should have been nominated um, because she's a fully fleshed out character. And, um, you know, the question of race is not the entire topic of her character's journey in the story. And I think that that's very important. And one thing that I thought was very funny though, at the beginning, cause you know, I haven't seen this before every time that Mary McDonald had any kind of like sass, it kept being punctuated with like nineties electric guitar, yeah. which came off as like very campy, you know, and, and she was just so against physio and, and anybody like helping her at all. And then the way that everything was punctuated with the guitar, I was like, oh my God, this is, I feel like I'm watching a soap opera. And I don't know if that was like a device or something, but like it started to become camp and it started to become so cheesy that I was like, oh no, what the hell is this? But it's really whenever she goes through all of the the, the nurses and all the, the, the verbal abuse that she puts them through, um, it's, that's when the movie kind of becomes interesting. And then whenever Chantel, Alfred Woodard kind of shows up, that's when the movie becomes really interesting, very compelling. I just want to say a fact about this movie that Mary McDonald actually attended physical training and, uh, hospital sessions with counselors and real paraplegics so that she could get into the role. And this is just a side note, but that passion fit, 
passion fish myth that John Sales uh, wrote about is just completely made up. They said it's like a Louisiana thing. It's not. It was just a device for the movie. Oh, wow. Um, I believed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is a lie. The guitar is really interesting because it makes you think it's going to be a worse movie at first. And mm-hmm. whenever they play a longer version of it, it's actually kind of okay and it's like a score. But in the early scenes, it just feels like kind of like a Louisiana version of like Seinfeld where it's like boom, between <laughs> scenes, you know? And I'm like, and, and this, the, the early nurse scenes are so comedic. I mean, the one where she calls someone like Elsa a she-beast is actually like her Oscar clip. Yeah, I, right. I watch, There's a longer YouTube video with, with their clips and usually you can't find those on YouTube for right, right, rights reasons, but there's like a four and a half minute version that goes from like Catherine Deneuve having this blow up to like Mary McDonald like flinging her food like and being super deadpan and it's, it's, it's actually so jarring. Oh, wow. I love that. Um, I think one of Mary McDonald's best scenes is whenever she falls in the bathroom and she has to struggle to get back to the couch, but she can't actually physically lift herself up. So she's stuck on the floor. And that to me of all the scenes from Mary McDonald was the most real that felt the most real to me. Um, just because obviously if you're a paraplegic, like, um, especially like the, the, the muscle degeneration and like the, the weight that you lose and like the, the fact that like her legs remained perfectly toned throughout the whole movie after she refused to work out, you know, those things obviously became a little distracting where it's like, no, like you're, if you can't move your legs, like you, you lose a lot of muscle mass and definition, obviously. And that really wasn't happening. So I found that a bit distracting. So she really brought it to life with scenes like the bathroom scene because I felt so bad for her and she brought a lot of um, reality. And what I appreciate very much about this character is that she's kind of awful. Oh yeah. And just like refusing to be anything else other than like a grouchy alcoholic uh, and which, uh, generally I appreciate, Yeah, sure. um, as, but it, there's so many things about her that are very unlikable, but I think to Mary McDonald's credit is that it still makes the performance very compelling and you are rooting for her. And I think that's a credit to her performance. Yeah. I think, I think whenever you get the two of them alone together, Alfred Woodard and Mary McDonald, um, you just sort of forget everything that's cliched about the movie and it really clicks into gear and they're just so electric. The only reason I can think of that Alfred Woodard might've not been nominated is like category confusion. Cause I know some of the precursor noms she got were in lead and some were in supporting. And it is kind of a friendship love story where they each go off and they have their own romance and they each have scenes alone, but it's just Alfred Woodard's not really in that first act as much. So I think she kind of got screwed by the confusion and uh, she does have a nomination for something else, at least. But Alfred Woodard is so underrated, and, and so is Mary McDonald, really. I believe Alfred Woodard was actually nominated. I think Cross Creek? Early, yeah, like in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, and it is for Cross Creek. Yes, you are correct. And um, I think uh, overall, you know, uh, really good movie, really wonderful performance. It did become a little repetitive, but yeah. it was sort of interesting watching, um, her full journey. I, again, I mean, this is just like my attention deficit disorder speaking, but I think it could have been like 30 minutes less. It, it, it did drag a little bit for me. Um, yeah, for sure. It's, it's the rawness and 
for me the bayou setting that keep it kind of fresh in its genre and mm. um i think just sales just makes movies that are a little bit better than they have to be i'm a huge fan of like this murder mystery he has called lone star that's all about like Ooh. this small town and like these secret keepers with uh, chris cooper francis mcdormand and matthew mcconaughey and if, oh, if you like a great cast. If you like actresses there's a movie called casa de los babies that's about six uh, white women in South America waiting for their adopted babies with like Marsha Gay Harden, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Daryl Hannah, and Mary Steenburgen. Uh, he's got okay. like such, nobody knows any of his movies, but there's so many that are so good. Angela Bassett has a lead role for him in a movie called Sunshine State, and uh, it's underrated. But we have to say um, the the most humble thing about Mary McDonald is she lets herself not even get the best monologue because there is the anal probe monologue. Yes. which is the most memorable part of the movie i think we spent a lot of time with that monologue for sure i didn't want my anal probe i didn't ask yeah, for it that was... yeah that's what it was <laughs> and that was like her first line in like television or something yeah fascinating <laughs> yeah that one was really good i also really love the way that mary mcdonald she um becomes sort of infatuated with that married man and it's a complicated relationship but whenever they go into the swamp tour basically and Chantel and Mary McDonald, they don't know like who he's interested in. And I love the way that she kind of puts herself out there like that in this vulnerable position as this, because she obviously has to find love in, in a different sort of, or in a more vulnerable way because she is um, a paraplegic and, you know, navigating romance. Um, that's something like brand new for her in a way. And I'm sure something that's very scary. And I think that she really navigated those scenes very well. And um, those were some of my favorite moments. Um, yeah, she has to probe from her as well. probe for his intentions, yeah. if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy too, David Strathairn. Uh, oh yeah, you know, he's he's great. Have um, you ever... I also really love the part of me. Have you ever seen Sneakers? No, I've heard of it. Sneakers though. is like a heist movie with David Strathairn and Mary McDonald both on the team. And it's like a, the goofiest 90s heist movie with like Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier and River Phoenix. Oh my God, I love River Phoenix. It is so much fun. David Strathairn plays a blind guy and at one point he has to drive the van over directions on the phone from Robert Redford. It is such a funny right. movie. Oh, I love it. Um, I think another thing too that with Mary McDonald was that like, if she's supposed to be drinking all day, why was she not fucking miserable and hungover? She always looked beautiful hair, fresh faced. I mean, I realize it's probably the nineties gloss, Yeah. but like, I just wish that there was, I think that she genuinely could have had a chance at this Oscar if they would have messed her up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, cause they even make mention to whatever happened to baby Jane. And so it's like, even uh, Joan Crawford in that movie, like looked tired. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's give like, her that. There's like a 10 years later, uh, Julianne Moore kind of passion fish that might've been where, where she wouldn't hold back. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's yeah. the one thing, especially because the scenes where they each talk about their respective addictions and they're like, yours isn't the same are such potent scenes. You almost want the physics the physicality and uh, the makeup to like do justice to that and the hair. Uh-huh. A hundred percent. Okay. So just for time's sake, I do think that we do need to move on, but do you have anything else specifically that you would like to add to Mary McDonald performs before we move on? No, watch passion fish. Yeah, I, I agree. Watch passion a little long, but it, it's actually, it, it, it's, it's, it's very, very good. And, and I, I enjoy her very much as an actress. Okay. The next movie. Oh, bitch. Okay. 
I'm going to get some mail for this one, but I don't give a shit. This is how I feel about it. Let's talk about Catherine Deneuve in Indochine. So if anybody, so in French, it's Indochine, but in English, it's Indochina, which was obviously um, a French British presence in um, Asia that was made up parts of different parts of China and, and what's now Vietnam and uh, Malaysia and um it's oh my god okay so this movie was france's official submission for the 1993 oscar ceremony it actually did win best foreign film and catherine Deneuve was nominated for best actress in the lead role i will give her this she certainly carries herself like a movie star and she definitely has the look and this movie was very beautifully shot but for the love of God, in all of the years that I have been doing this podcast, I have never had to pause a movie and walk away from it for days at a time before I could revisit it because I was so fucking bored. I hated this movie so much. And just the cherry on top of all of it, I had to pay to rent it because I couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere with English suburbs, with English subtitles, sorry. So it... It just made it that much worse for me. I, the only person that was actually interesting in this movie was um, Elaine's daughter, Camille. Sure. Um, the, the red princess or whatever was they called. She was the only interesting part of this movie. This movie was like a French soap opera with beautiful cinematography. It was borderline camp, but very, very quickly, I'm just going to say um, what this movie is about. So... Um, Elaine adopts Camille, uh, whose Vietnamese parents were friends. Cool. In 1930, a French Navy officer is interested in Elaine and later in Camille. There's an uprising in Vietnam against French colonial power. And then at the end of the movie, which by the way, it's been like 20, it's like in 1954. So at this point, it's been like, what, like 24 years. Um, Elaine has not aged a day, but Camille has gray hair, but not Elaine. Like it made absolutely no sense. But again, it's like a, it's literally like a campy soap opera. And Jean-Baptiste is the French Navy officer that becomes infatuated with Elaine and then ends up impregnating Camille. And um, Jean-Baptiste Jean is just overreacted times 500,000. He has a very fragile ego. He even, he even fucking hits Elaine at a party in front of everybody and then gets like banished to like the farthern realm of Indochina. Um, I absolutely hated every minute of this movie. It was probably one of, actually I would go as far to say that it was probably the most painful, this one and a trip to Bountiful with Geraldine <laughs> Page is up there as like one of the worst movies I've ever watched on here. Um, that just doesn't age well. Um, so I am obviously not a huge fan of this, so I'm just going to go ahead and pass this off to you, and you can let me know what you think and what you thought about Catherine Deneuve's performance. Well, I hated it. Um, okay, <laughs> good, good. But it, it means the movie. Uh, Catherine Deneuve, I don't hate, but I don't especially like the performance. She's an actress I really like, and she has some interesting movies, uh, some like real sexual liberation movies from like the sixties and seventies. They're super interesting. Some musicals from the sixties, which we, mm -hmm. I think you would hate because they are like the French all song musical where they don't even really have a tune and they just go on and on, but uh, they have some gorgeous <laughs> costumes, but I know you're not a musicals fan. <laughs> I am not, but no. uh, 
for this to be Catherine Deneuve's only nomination, though, like this is not her best work. It's kind of like Stanley Tucci's only nom being for the Lovely Bones. It's like right, this ridiculous mumble right. performance. It's like this is not why we like Stanley Tucci. Because um, right. this movie is tough, and it's a lot of boring, like a lot of long movies. People will say like, "Oh, I know that it's good, but uh, I didn't like watching it." And for me, this is closer to the opposite. Like. I don't think <laughs> I don't think it's good. I will argue <laughs> to my dying breath that this movie does not work, but um, I I I do think the second half is kind of fascinating in like how many plot turns there are, and yeah. it gets so ridiculous. And that's why I think it's bad. Is I find myself once stuff finally starts happening with people getting shot in the head, I find myself watching like it's Mars Attacks or something. But they do not know what movie they are making. I completely agree with you. There was such an identity crisis. The only thing that I enjoyed, frankly, was just the cinematography, the wonderful backdrop of of Asia and like the various countries in Asia that that were that for me was really the only reason to watch because clearly they had like a high budget, but it was literally like watching Days of Our Lives in French in an Asian country. Like there was nothing compelling. I this movie felt like a fever dream to me where I would just be like, are we, is this still happening? Where the hell? Okay. Indochine is now to me just going to be called two and a half hours. Cause that's all it was to me. It was just time. Yeah. It was just so much time. And I just kept being like, Oh God, how much, how much further? I'm like, okay, I'm at like an hour and 45. Okay. How much further? Okay. I'm at like this. It just kept going on and on and on and on. And then like whenever um, Jean Baptiste, because Camille inexplicably, runs away from her husband who was against like the French presence in Indochina and he's seen as an enemy obviously to France but I guess Camille maybe he understands because they have because Camille is like in an arranged marriage but then he lets her run off because clearly he's I don't know not into an arranged marriage but the way that she escapes considering she is a quote princess it, it makes no sense that she would then be like essentially uh, what do you call that like uh, uh, whenever you're like you're hitchhiking across the country and then she gets arrested and then she's doing all of this just so that she can see jean baptiste even though there was nothing that led to their infatuation or why they had such an intense love for each other and at this point jean baptiste doesn't even love camille he barely even knows her because he got banished by Elaine for a potential connection that they might have. But all Jean-Baptiste did was just save her that one time randomly whenever there was a terrorist attack. So then whenever Camille goes all the way across the country to go to a guy that she doesn't even know and he doesn't even know her, I'm like, this makes no sense. Also, that is crazy girl territory right there. I know that it's horrible to call a woman crazy, but in this particular case, it is apt. And then... He just looks at her and then immediately falls in love with her. And then he, she kills a French officer. Then they're on the run. It was just one confusing thing after another. It felt to me like, okay, what's going to happen next in this scene? And the writer was like, maybe she'll shoot somebody. Okay, cool. Now they're on the run. Like it all just seemed like to not have, there was nothing to establish why things would happen. And then they would just happen. And then you would just have to kind of deal with it as a viewer. And then you keep being like, wait, isn't Catherine Deneuve the lead of this story? And then she's missing forever. And then you go back to it sort of near the end. And then it all just kind of works out. And then she raises 
the baby that Camille has, even though Jean-Baptiste is dead. And you're like, what the fuck was the point of this movie? What was the point of anything? There were no questions that were answered. There, there was no character development. I felt like Catherine Deneuve's character, Elaine, was the same from beginning to end. I did not find the performance or the movie compelling. I thought it was so boring. I just, I hated this movie. I hated yeah, it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's interesting because it it feels like every time, like you're right, there's time away from Elaine and it just feels like this is adapted from some obscure book or something, but it isn't. And it's just like, it feels like the wrong <laughs> way to tell the story because we skip over Camille's like radicalization as a teenager and any turning point. Yeah. And we also skip over why the French guy uh, stops caring about Elaine or like turns against her. Yeah, and it's like yeah. Jean Baptiste, and 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 we, it's and then meanwhile we're hiding out with like a troop of actors, and it's like why are you spending your time on this stuff as if you're like indebted to some novel, like yeah, it's so randomly chosen. It's like yes, this has to be like, and also who is your protagonist? They don't seem to know. I know. Also, she really, uh, Catherine Deneuve really looked like Kristen Wiig at certain angles. Oh, yeah. Which also contributed to the fact that I could not take this movie seriously. I mean, do you remember whenever Jean-Baptiste is killed and Elaine wants to know who it was and she's, she goes to the French officers and she she is demanding to know what happened, who killed him. It, it was the French, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? That to me felt like the only real acting, not real acting, but the like, let's say the Oscar scene from her in this movie that I was like, okay, things are getting kind of real. Things are getting kind of interesting. I understand where her anger is coming from in this moment. This makes sense to me. Yeah. And those types of moments and scenes were so few and far between that I, like I said, this movie was like a fever dream and I feel like I aged years watching it I, I hated it I just I fucking hated this movie yeah there are so much so many more life and death things happening here than passion fish but she's just as like blank as that movie for most of it <laughs> and then at the end she leaves with Tan who was Camille's husband and she goes back to France and I'm assuming that she did that to get back at Camille for sleeping with her man there was just a lot of Maury Povich drama there was a lot of <clears throat> excuse me there was just a lot, it was just very soap opera-y, very camp. I didn't care about any of the characters. I was glad when it was over. Um, I truly have nothing else to say about this movie, and I would like to move on. If, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, I think she's going back to let him meet his mom, but it's it's basically like the age of innocence, and he's like, oh, it's not worth it. I decide not to. And it oh. just doesn't land because... <laughs> we don't even care about this guy either. Like it's all framed as a story to him, but like all for what? Like this is a war movie without a war. It's just like right. little conflicts that are leading to other wars later. And it is so confusing. I'm just like, why am I hearing this story? And why am I hearing this story about the white people? And why is everything I need to know about the local Asian person uh, glossed over? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, anyway, um, yeah, Indo Indochine. If anybody uh, anybody wants to watch that movie, don't. <laughs> 
Hey, Best Actress listeners, enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning, ad-free, by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Okay, so let's move on and let's talk about Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie Love Field. You want to talk about a movie with an identity crisis? This is one of them. So this was uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's third Academy Award nomination. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, I don't love this movie, but very quickly, um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer plays uh, Lorene, which I've never heard that name before, but I love it because um, it makes me sound, it sounds like latrine, oh, like yeah. toilet. And I just love that. So Lorene, uh, she is devastated by President Kennedy's assassination uh, Dallas-based hairstylist Lorene Hallett boards a bus for the funeral in Washington, D.C., where she meets a perplexing father and his daughter who greatly impact her journey. And then it kind of just becomes this, like, like a story about, like, race relations in the South and what it means to be a Black person um, and their relationship with the police. And I guess, in a way, Lorene's, like, white privilege, like, um, also is like a theme and then we kind of just completely forget about the John F. Kennedy assassination and getting to the funeral like completely and then it just becomes like this hunt for uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's like husband to find her and then it gets like really domestic violence and then um, uh, Dennis Haysbert who plays Paul rescues her and in the end spoiler alert um, so like they're running away because uh, Dennis Haysbert stole his daughter from like a group home or like a, a foster home because his daughter was being abused. And then that wasn't really explained properly. And then uh, like the police find out that Dennis Haysbert, like they don't have a paternity test. So they don't know that this daughter is actually his. So they think that he kidnapped the girl because Michelle Pfeiffer reported them to the FBI. I don't even know how you call the FBI, but she called the FBI from a payphone on the Greyhound bus stop because she basically was just such a Karen about it. And this movie, I have to say Michelle Pfeiffer's acting, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. She knows what she's doing and she's delivering. Okay, she's doing a great job. And I I, I, I understand her character. I, I, I like her character, but this movie was... Um, the second most boring movie in this year. Oh my God. Like it became so repetitive for me. I just didn't really care that much about the characters. And it definitely did feel very much like white savior complex throughout the entire film. And it just, this is a movie that maybe doesn't like age well. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, what did you think about this movie? What did you think about Michelle Pfeiffer? Well, um, I thought this was pretty long for an SNL sketch, but Amy Poehler was really funny in it. <laughs> I, uh, it's 
a little exaggerated. I also love Michelle Pfeiffer generally. There's really interesting thing with Michelle Pfeiffer because it's, it's sort of surprising that she doesn't have an Oscar. And her noms, I find, are really not for her best work, her three nominations, uh, right. which is this uh, Dangerous Liaisons and, oh God, what's the other one? The Fabulous Baker Boys. That's right, which is a charming... I, I liked her in that That's one. a charming yeah. movie, but she's sort of like playing a, a, a not great person. But she's not nominated for like Married to the Mob or like Darren Aronofsky's Mother, which I thought she was super creepy in. And she, mm-hmm. whenever she gets buzzed these days, it never seems to materialize. Um, so, or even something like Hairspray. So it's, it's interesting. They don't seem to represent her best work. Um, right. I have a wild theory about movies of 1992 that I think you're going to love. I think this is kind of a nomination for Catwoman. Right. I was actually thinking that same thing whenever you were about to say it, because it's like, how do we reward her for this ridiculous role? But also like, holy shit, like she was amazing as Catwoman. They're like, oh, let's nominate her for Love Field. Sure. That makes it more dramatic, more Academy voters would get this. I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, just... Just admit what you're doing. Just two people have won Oscars for playing the Joker now. Like just, right. just admit. And I feel like this is an interesting phenomenon. I don't really have a word for it other than maybe like the Phantom nomination. But it's like when someone does a genre movie, um, sometimes that will just help their year momentum, and they'll get nominated for the other thing or they'll win. Like I've seen The Accidental Tourist. It is a terrible movie, and maybe Gina Davis's worst work. But it is oh, I agree. It's the year of Beetlejuice. Yeah. So they're like, okay, what can you do? Like, even it might even be subconscious. It's like she's on our minds. And and I started digging deeper. I found a bunch of these. Like I think how much of a hit the proposal was might have helped Sandra Bullock the same year. Share right. uh, and Moonstruck, yeah, and uh, which is a Beastwick. Right, right, right. She had that too, and like Alicia Vikander and Ex Machina the same year. Right. Uh, yeah. Even how charming Tom Hanks is in Sleepless in Seattle could help him for Philadelphia, and right. Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games, etc. And one of the wildest ones is like, how was Leo ever supposed to win for Wolf of Wall Street when McConaughey's in his movie too, and like in the most memorable scene? He's just going to be on their mind. So of course McConaughey wins. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, this is often a thing with the Oscars. I mean, maybe with Michelle Pfeiffer, like the best is yet to come, but I do know what you're saying where they she had such a good choose. year. Yeah, right. And they reward her for the wrong project. I mean, at first, Lorene's southern accent really came and went. It was very shaky, especially whenever they go to the airport to meet Jackie O and um John F. Kennedy. And I remember like she she was just very like rootin' tootin' like, hi y'all, how y'all bailin'? Like it was just this really intense accent that came out of nowhere because in the previous scenes she didn't sound so sassy and like so it just sounded like campy. And then I was like, oh God. But then actually for the rest of the movie, she actually maintains the accent very well, which I was very pleased by. But it really did at the at the very beginning, it really did come and go. Um, I'm also really not sure like why her husband wouldn't let her go to the funeral. I understand that it's like across the country, but like, it's a funeral for the president who was just assassinated. Like that was like the, the nation was devastated. Like that was their nine 11 of that generation. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't understand why he wouldn't just let her go. And 
the movie doesn't really start to become serious until she gets on the road because at first I was like, how was this nominated for an Oscar? This just seems, again, like a ridiculous soap opera. Um, and I thought maybe it would be like kind of a comedy at first because she kind of looks like Mary Kay or something. And then she has this silly accent. And I was like, oh, it's like a comedy. And I was, there was just some like tonal things that I didn't really appreciate. And I found some of the changes to be, um, you know, a bit jarring. And I don't know. It, the one thing that I appreciated about it, though, was that this is certainly a character that I have never seen from Michelle Pfeiffer. So that was interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Because she's really good at playing, like, the badass and, like, the evil, like, the femme fatale. Like, that is, she is just incredible. Like, no one can hold a candle to her at that. And I, I appreciate that. Um, Charlize Theron actually is pretty good at that. But Michelle Pfeiffer is the real deal. And I, I appreciate that very much from her. Um, so, yeah, really good acting for Michelle Pfeiffer. I just didn't care about this movie, and I just didn't care about this character. Yeah, and the performance style, it's kind of broad and shrill. I, I was telling you before, like, I just wish this movie was far from heaven. Maybe it's Dennis Haysbert mm. being there, but I love that movie. And it also has an excuse, because that movie's like a melodrama. So when something ridiculous happens the music swells and it's all part of the tapestry and it's got these gorgeous sets. And even yeah. though that's ridiculous on purpose in a melodrama, that movie is the, the events are not as ridiculous as this. And I'm just wondering why I care, uh, why this story is from her perspective. And especially when you're comparing it to something like passion fish, the black characters seem so one note here. This man is just so pure, mm-hmm. nothing like Alfred Woodard talking about her addiction, not to mention the passion fish has like three or four other uh, developed adult black characters and right. this just pales in comparison it just feels like the most relic of the 90s like if i wasn't yeah. invested in michelle pfeiffer what would be here for me like it, it, it sh- it's just the invention of karen a hundred percent and i'm very glad that you said that because you're right um paul dennis Haysbert was a very one note and i'm the only thing that I will say that I did like that really came out of his mouth was whenever he says to her that being born and being black are not the same thing. Yeah. And then she had to like, think about what that meant. I'm glad that that moment was happening because there were so many things that I was just like, I feel like we have an opportunity here, like, like green book for, I don't know where it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, where we could, really talk about something serious and really the, the characters could learn from each other. But I just feel like that didn't really happen. It was very much like, this is how, this is what I think. And the other character was like, this is what I think. And then like, no one helped each other or sure. taught anything to each other. Yep. And also whenever they kissed, did were you like a little surprised by that? Cause I did not see that happening. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's no point in doing the movie if this isn't like going to happen, but it still feels super weird. Yeah, it was weird. I just feel like they didn't have that chemistry. Yeah, and again, when you think of like Far From Heaven, a movie where everything makes sense, even with this swelling ridiculousness, and here, it just seems like Dennis Haysbert has so much less of a role, even though so much, in quotes, more is happening in terms of like life and death stakes. Well, do you remember whenever they're running through whatever town and then there's like a fucking SWAT team and there's like a million cars? This is is not how this works. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, this seems like a huge waste of the taxpayers' money. Like, I just. You're so right, too. How did she call the FBI? Is that like 912 or like. (laughs) I know. She just got on the phone and I was like, with J. Edgar Hoover, I was like, what 
the fuck? I don't understand how this is working. There was just a lot of really confusing things, a lot of confusing character moments. Um, I didn't really care about any of the characters. I found that she and Paul didn't really have a lot of chemistry. I found that Paul was really the only likable character, but like you're saying, he was very one note where um, compared to Alfre Woodard, she had addiction and, and other things that were going on in her life, her relationship with her daughter, that was complicated. It was layered where this was very one note. And, and um, I, I will also say though, as, a, as just a, a fact about this movie that this was an Orion's Orion Pictures production and this movie was uh, not released on time. It was filmed a few years before, but because the company went bankrupt, um, uh, they couldn't release it until they had funding again. So there was a delay on getting this release. I mean, this is the same thing that happened with Jessica Lange and the movie Blue Sky, uh, which, oh God, that's, that's another episode. But anyway, uh, listen to that one. That one was, was, was funny more than it was entertaining. But um, anyway, I, I, again, with this kind of performance, I, I just, another character that I just didn't really care about. I was really confused by the plot. I found the movie very boring and um, I've seen so many other amazing performances by Michelle Pfeiffer. I really think that you hit the nail on the head by saying that they just nominate her for the wrong things. And I think that this is an example of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's Justice for Batman Returns. Just nominate the genre movie next time. I mean, this is the year that my cousin yeah. Vinny is winning an Oscar, and deservedly. So, like, just nominate the comedies, nominate the genre movies. If the acting is there, you can they can get it up sometimes for, like, Sigourney Weaver and Aliens. So it's just, like, just admit yeah. the performance you loved. And we'd like to see more of those. I don't know if an, a, a true comedy has won an Oscar since Marissa Tomei. That's not, like, a dramedy, like, as good as it gets or Jerry Maguire, an acting Oscar, I mean... Mm. So it's yeah, like right. bring bring back the genre winners, and uh, the only other thing I can think is, I really wasn't sold on her like shoddy marriage. Like she seemed fine with it at the start. I didn't get any of the like yes. Gina Davis as Thelma vibes, where it's like she knows but she's stuck. But later in the movie, she's just like, "My life with you is a jail," and I'm like, "I didn't. This is this yeah. is like five percent of Thelma to me in terms of characterization." No, you're 100% right. I literally wrote down one of my notes here. I said, uh, when her husband starts beating on her, his violence seems out of place. And I don't fully believe that she would flee her husband and continue with Paul. A lot of these things, they, they just, the motivation was confusing as the viewer. And I just didn't buy anything that was going on. I think they needed to ramp anyway. up the drama. I thought Ray should have just been a misogynist who like makes bad comments. I didn't buy that he was sure. an abuser, like from the early scenes. Yeah. I I completely agree with you. Um, okay. Well, anyway, let's just let's just move on from this. Let's talk about Susan Sarandon in Lorenzo's Oil. So finally, I I kind okay. So I I, I kind of wanted to put Love Field and um, Indochine. In, I, I'm glad that these are over with, <laughs> and we can actually get into movies that I did actually kind of enjoy because. Those two were just painful. And and Lorenzo's Oil, finally, we have a compelling story. It's actually based on a real story. Um, so just very quickly, I'm just going to grab a little description here of what this movie is about. So uh, Lorenzo Odone, or maybe Odone, I don't know. I don't, I'm not Italian. 
a Virginia five-year-old develops a degenerative nerve disease so rare that nobody is working on a cure. So his parents decide to immerse themselves in research and tackle the problem themselves. And this is based on a true story. And um, what was the name of, it's ALD, which is, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's ALD and it's a degenerative thing that affects boys and they generally die from it. But basically they have this, um, these, compounds in olive oil that they extract that they put into their diet at a young age that prevents them from further developing this degenerative disease and um it's it's a very interesting movie it's a very interesting performance from susan sarandon that i can honestly say i've never really seen before i mean she often plays mothers um but in this case she was almost like genius medicine mother like like a doctor and um this movie was written by Mad Max director George Miller, who is actually a real-life doctor. Who knew? Um, and this is also the theatrical movie debut of Laura Linney. She was the teacher at the beginning of the movie. Hell yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, Nick Nolte is the father. She's the mother. And Nick Nolte is the father. His accent was so distracting because he sounded like Dracula. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, I thought that I noticed that Susan Sarandon gave probably the most subtle and great performance that I have ever seen that was given opposite uh, Chef Boyardee and Wario's child <laughs> while he was serving Stop up a big loopy. pizza pie. <laughs> I know. It was so distracting. It's weird because it was pretty bad. He even has uh, some good acting moments like through the accent. Um, some mm-hmm. some affecting scenes. I agree. He has some scenes with Sarandon that are undeniably good scenes, and even undeniably well acted scenes on both sides. But he's all doing this through. It's kind of like when Tom Hanks does an accent to me, like right. it, it, in it, like Elvis. <laughs> yes, yes, or like the Terminal or Lady Killers. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, it's like, well, you're a good actor, and you can't fake that. And uh, Nick Nolte was a good actor around this time, and was sexiest man alive around this time, uh, in an increasingly confusing way as he turns into like a swamp <laughs> monster uh, later in life. <laughs> I think um, the beginning of the movie, though, with Lorenzo's oil, it starts out with Damien from The Omen vibes, and it's actually the music is very like The Exorcist almost, like it's very scary sounding, and you're like, oh, like what's wrong with Lorenzo? Like it sounds, cause he's coming from East Africa in, in the early eighties. And then you're like, okay, are they going to do, cause it's a very, there's a lot of religious um, tones to the movie. So you're like, Oh, like, cause I don't ever watch previews or, or, or read what they're about. I'd like to just go in blind and just uh, watch the story envelop and develop in front of me. And I, thought that it was going to be this supernatural thing at the beginning of the movie because the music was kind of hinting at the fact that it, it might be. And it turns out that, no, 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 this is actually like a medical movie. And I, I think tonally that was a mistake on the uh, on the director, George Miller's part. And also this is the first movie that George Miller ever did that's actually like a serious based in reality type of movie. Yeah, because his career is so weird because it's the four Mad Maxes, Witches of Eastwick, then this, yeah. then Babe Pig in the City, and the two Happy Feet. <laughs> like, and then his movie this year where Idris Elba's a genie with uh, Tilda yeah. Swinton. Like, it's such a fascinating career, but uh, the quality <laughs> doesn't seem to miss, weirdly. Like, they're all, like, what they're supposed to be. Watch, he's going to direct, like, White Chicks 3. 
Like it's just gonna come out of nowhere. Like what? And do you remember the Do you remember the Fury Road Oscars where they kept winning all the techs and these crazy like grungy Australian people would come on stage and be like, "Hey, George, we did it!" <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love that. Beautiful um, madman. Beautiful moments. So specifically speaking to Susan Sarandon's performance, I there okay. I'm gonna get your opinion on this one because I do agree that yes, it was certainly more of a subtle performance. There were a few moments in there that felt like I didn't get from her what I wanted. And I don't know if she was pacing her character's emotional journey. But for example, whenever she finds out that her son has three years to live, and then she has this reaction. That's very real. You're like, okay. But then when she approaches him at the aquarium, I feel like when she has to speak to him for the first time, I get that she's trying to be a strong parent and she doesn't want to scare her child. But I think emotionally as a parent, I was expecting more from her in these scenes. There were these moments where she would just nail it and give me everything that I wanted of her son dying from this terminal disease And then there were moments where I felt like she was coming off as cold. And I feel like this was probably character choices to emotionally pace herself for the film. Or at least that's what I think that it was. But it sort of translated to um, a bit Frankenstein to me (laughs) in moments where I was kind of like, I think you need to be bigger here, girl. Yeah. Emotionally speaking. It's interesting because I think what I love about this movie is what sort of makes some of the performances suffer in that it's, it's kind of like you say, it's a horror movie about illness. It's like the horrors of mm. illness and everyone is unlikable at a time. And she is an obstacle and she's kind of antagonistic for a good part of the middle, which is really weird and kind of interesting. But it means obviously the Nolte performance is kind of weird and I feel like people like Margot Martindale and Laura Linney kind of end up stealing the movie. And this one old man, uh, Dr. Sotheby, like, I feel like the central people, um, it's such a difficult stiff. and stiff yeah. because it's a, they're all playing real people too. Also, did you know the boy who played Lorenzo is like a Forbes magazine editor now and he's written two books on Jay-Z? <laughs> and why wouldn't he sure oh, as you do perfect. as you do of course like the original one or the older lorenzo um i think i don't know it's whoever is for the most part lorenzo i think it's i think it's the older one so in real life this is a bit of a downer but in real life because lorenzo did live but he actually didn't live much longer he actually died in 2008 but he outlived his mother which i i guess sarandon got through to me because i was i was like glad she didn't have to see her son die when i when i read up and learned that so i think she registered with me in that way but you're right she doesn't really disappear the way that uh in this crop mary mcdonald and emma thompson do for me Well, I remember whenever I was doing the episode for Blue Sky and she was nominated, Susan Sarandon, for The Client, that movie and that nomination is such a joke. It does not age well. It makes no sense that she was nominated for that movie. It was like watching an episode of like 90210 or something. Like it was just so over the top and ridiculous. And the fact that she was nominated for an Oscar, it was like, they clearly didn't have a lot of good nominees that year. And actually that was the case. They didn't. And that was what all critics were saying at the time. And a lot of people were arguing that she should have won for Lorenzo's oil in this group of nominees so far. I don't know about that, but I feel like 
just like with um, Al Pacino for Ascend of a Woman, for Susan Sarandon, I think this was like her her third Oscar nomination or her fourth Oscar nomination. And I think this could have been like her career win um, because the narrative is there. The movie is there. The performance is kind of there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she had one, but I am glad that she did end up winning for Dead Man Walking. And when I'm watching this movie, there were amazing moments from Susan Sarandon that made me really understand the nomination because you're right. There were other like, you know, supporting characters that truly were stealing the movie. And I, I, I do agree with you, but I think that whenever she tells him to quote, whenever they're in that hospital for a minute and she tells him to fly to baby Jesus, again, themes of religion, but the way that she is saying goodbye to her child and he's dying in her arms, that was a very emotional scene. That was a very real scene. That one, I, I was like, oh, okay, I understand this nomination. And I think that this is the emotional devastation that I wanted from her character and I'm glad that we finally got there because um, it just felt so stiff at first. But also, too, to Nick Nolte's performance, you're right, where it's like, <laughs> the like, bleh, like, I want to suck you out of blood. Like, there was just that kind of campy, ridiculous accent with actual good acting. Like, I believed him. It was just the accent was just this weird thing that didn't need to be there. But... Um, I also felt that Susan Sarandon, I love that she was too harsh to her sister because obviously when you're stressed out, you're going to be like just an unreasonable person emotionally. And I, I love that, that that was present in the storyline. Um, she was also horrible to the nurses, which is again, understandable. Um, and I just love how like not, how tenacious she was about her child dying. And she literally was like, no, nothing will stop you or distract me from my ultimate goal of saving my son. And I, I appreciated that about her character, which I feel led to the nomination because there were kind of peaks and valleys in this performance. Yeah, yeah. The Fly to Baby Jesus, that was her Oscar clip when I watched them. And it makes sense because okay. that, that's a standout moment. And yeah, she. I think she's already seen as so due at this point. I assume she was probably mm -hmm. the runner up. And I think, and the client is when it gets to the point of they're like, Susan, come on we're still going to nominate you, but like you have to do a movie that makes sense for like at least five seconds, please. <laughs> we're going to give it to blue sky. This, this movie that literally only three people have ever seen uh, just to rub it in yeah. so that you come back next year with something real. Come on. But, but I think she probably, this is probably uh, this and Thelma and Louise are probably the time she really came close. Um, mm -hmm. And if that wasn't like the silence of the lambs here, that, that kind of is almost unfair because that movie was so dominant. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, Okay, but just for time's sake, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Susan Sarandon's performance before we move on to our winner? She's great. It's just, the movie is almost so realistic that it doesn't showcase acting uh, as well as it could. Um, yeah, I agree But with it's that. worth it. It's, it's such a unique movie, and it is so much better than I think of illness dramas ever being. You're right. And you know, I actually did not check out at all in this movie. It was probably one of the most compelling films and story. It is based on a true story. And I did Google everyone like afterward and I wanted to see like what happened. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed this film. I really enjoyed this performance. And it's certainly one that if anybody listening has not seen, I would very much uh, recommend watching. So <laughs> Mary McDonald or, Susan Sarandon in Lorenzo's Oil, I think, are, are definite picks. The other two are trash. Uh, 
Okay, so let's talk about our winner. And I'm glad that we can talk about this. I know that you have a relationship with this story that I would love if you were to tell our listeners about. But let's talk about Emma Thompson in Howard's End. Um, but just very quickly before you do uh, jump into that, I'm just going to give a brief. Um, also, anybody listening, if you have listened to the previous episode, I'm not going to be repeating any facts about this movie. If you want to hear more facts about this movie, just go back to the episode. I think it's episode excuse me, two or three, but um, the only fact I will mention is that Emma Thompson won every single award that she was nominated for with a total of 13 for this movie. And having seen all of these uh, nominees, you know, I'm like, I I get it. But very quickly, so uh, Howard's End, a businessman thwarts his wife's bequest of an estate to another woman. Cool, we'll just go with that. I feel like most people know, and again, we've already talked about this movie before, but... Um, Josh, you have a relationship with this story as a person who uh, writes out described videos, so please tell our listeners. Uh, yeah, I did. Among mostly at work, I do Alaska set reality shows and bizarre reality TV in general. But I occasionally get some movies. I did get the client actually, uh, which <laughs> which was a real pain because Ugh. of all the chasing and running around with the little kid. But um. I like talkie movies, but I, I did do the miniseries of Howard's End, which is all, I think, <laughs> written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, the guy who made uh, You Can Count on Me and Manchester by the Sea. I love Manchester by yeah, the Sea. Yeah, he's one of my favorite directors. And he that was an interesting miniseries. It was Haley Atwell from uh, the Captain America movies. And mm. uh, Matthew McFadden from Succession was in the uh, the Anthony Hopkins role. And it's got like Tracy Ullman in it. It, it was it was a pretty good miniseries, but I do think there's something about the OG Howard's End and Merchant Ivory movies in general. This this bizarre production company by this Indian man and this Englishman who were lovers, and one's the producer and one's the director, and they're doing all these period yeah. movies. They do costumes and sets like nobody else. They pepper in these gay movies like Maurice with Hugh Grant and eventually Call Me by Your Name which is what Ivory finally... I love Maurice. Yeah, Maurice yeah. is so good. I think it might be the ultimate Merchant Ivory movies. And these movies were so popular, and we really don't have anything like this today. I've always kind of wanted to podcast about Merchant Ivory because they are this weird lost genre, and they were so big. And I often find it's one of the hardest types of acting. I think comedy is probably the hardest type of acting, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's so impressive when people can blend into these as often as people like Emma Thompson and Helen Bonham Carter and Vanessa Redgrave can. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about this movie, so the last time that I talked about this, I had to specifically focus on Vanessa Redgrave because we were doing the supporting category and she's only in the movie, you know, for like five minutes, right? And then she dies and then she bequeaths Howard's end to Emma Thompson and then the whole thing is like kept from her. And of course, like Howard's end is like a a metaphor for modesty and dignity and harmony and empathy. It's basically like family values. It's almost like Howard's end is like the big Disney castle. And that's why Emma Thompson, she's like the personification of these values. And um, it's so interesting the way that the first time that I saw this movie, I fucking hated it. I hated every minute of it. I think it was just because I had just started this podcast and I didn't realize yet that supporting actress roles pre-2000 were like usually like five to ten minute performances in like three hour movies and I, I didn't know that so I felt like having to finish the movie was like a chore 
And I remember being resentful towards the characters. I'm like, oh my God, is this still going on? Like, I don't care. But now that I was actually supposed to focus on Emma Thompson, I immediately changed my perspective. I loved every fucking, this movie was nominated for best picture. I understand why now. And this is why I love this podcast because it gives me, I I get to revisit things often. And sometimes you watch a movie and you think, God, that was fucking garbage. And then just years later, it's like you've changed as a person, you've grown or you see things differently. And then suddenly a movie that you hate just suddenly speaks to you and like you love it. Or at least that's been my experience on this planet. And the second that the movie started, I was like freshly high. And it starts with, Dearest Meg, I'm having a glorious time. I'm engaged to be married. Ta! And I immediately am invested because I'm like thinking like Downton Abbey or something. And I just love the way um, in this sort of Victorian time of, of London, the way that every, the biggest deal in the world is like marriage and the class system and you know, all of these things that they're dealing with because this movie is about like greed, exploitation, poverty, inequality. You have so many themes going on and it's all played out in a very tastefully written and acted with like these delicious, like fancy British accents, like do come in, do take a seat, like all of these types of things. And for me as a viewer, I just eat all of this up and Emma Thompson, oh my God, was she ever so right for this movie this is like this in sense and sensibility but i i i really this really spoke to me i loved her in this movie i can see why she won every single award she has extreme presence compared to all of the other nominees this one is probably one of the only ones that feels like an actual movie other than lorenzo's oil i couldn't take my eyes off of her and i I kept pausing it because i didn't want to miss like a beat Anyway, this is just chef's kiss. What did you think about uh, Emma Thompson? And what did you think about this movie? I loved her and I love the movie. I have gone on a journey with it. It's probably the third time I've seen it. And the least I liked it was definitely the first time. But it's it's just kind of a thing about the genre and especially Merchant Ivory movies is like, they do it so well. And I will say their next one is Remains of the Day, which I think is nowhere near as good. And Emma Thompson is nowhere near as good in it. I probably even like Anthony Hopkins better in Howard's End. I just like everything. I think everything about it clicks more. And that's not really a leading role for her anyway, Remains of the Day. But this one is so, it is, I mean, it's impossible to not talk about sense and sensibility because in both of those movies, it's her and her sister. And the sister has the like showier, more like fun role. And Emma Thompson is all restraint and just waiting to release at the end. And it is so satisfying and so good. And the first time you watch it, you're likely to prefer Kate Winslet in Sense of Sensibility or or Helena Bonham Carter here, who was snubbed and robbed. And is better than Vanessa Redgrave. And I I feel like that might be what happened to you too, is Vanessa Redgrave is sort of the most cliche part of this. I do think she's pretty good. But if you're focusing on her, um, it was a weird nomination and it would have been uh, a career nomination, even though she has an Oscar. Um, Yeah. But yeah, this is such a satisfying movie to me. And I thought coming in, having seen the miniseries recently, I'd be like, oh, they're leaving so much of the story out, whatever. But they do a pretty good job of balancing perspectives, even with Tibby, the brother, and everyone really lands here. And the sets are just so gorgeous. And she doesn't even have a blow up or an Oscar scene. It is all just conversational and like a study in tone. 
It is all about her clip was not a big showy scene at all. It was just her telling Anthony. It was so funny after the Catherine Deneuve explosion clip, just having Mary McDonald flinging food and Emma Thompson being like, uh, can my sister stay over at your house? I think it would be really nice if you could do that. But if yeah. you've seen Howard's End, you're like, that is such a big moment. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It, so... it is fully Downton Abbey, but the best of Downton Abbey, like season one, like the yeah. gold. <laughs> that is that is the vibe I get from Howard's End. Um, I think that I love that, and I, I I'm glad that you also your least uh, favorite time watching it was the first time. There's something about this movie that just sort of grows on you or something. But one of my favorite lines in the movie is from Helena Bottom Carter, who is actually playing Helen, which I think is funny. And uh, Mr. Bath's wife comes in and, you know, she's like, what have you done with my husband? And she's like, I know that he came here. And then she's like, well, what do you mean? And then she's like, I know that you served him tea. And then Helen's like, oh, we've corrupted a married man with a cup of tea. And then she just bursts out laughing. That was one of my favorite lines. Again, I, to repeat what you said, I completely agree that Helena Bonham Carter was totally snubbed here. Um, just like, uh, just like, uh, oh my gosh, Love Fish. Um, oh, uh, uh, Alfred, Alfred Woodard. And, and Anthony she Hopkins was, is great too. He is fantastic in this movie. And I thought it was so amazing that because he had previously won for Silence of the Lambs the year before, he got to hand Emma Thompson the Oscar for this movie. I think that that at the Oscars is a very special moment. Chef's I would love to get that from my coworker. Yeah, that beautiful moment. Um, and overall, like with Emma Thompson's character, <laughs> she does get to play the good guy and the nice person throughout the movie. But I think what's credit to her performance is that whenever Vanessa Redgrave gives Howard's end to Meg, Emma Thompson, you feel like the family is like evil for like wanting it to stay in the family and, and not bequeath it to Emma Thompson's character, which fair enough because to the family, Emma Thompson is a complete stranger and Vanessa Redgrave doing this at the last second is just kind of random. If I was the family member, I'd be like, um, fuck you. Like, this is my childhood home. Like, no, I'm not just giving this away to some strange woman. But the way that Emma Thompson is so likable in this movie, you feel like the family is like evil for wanting to hold on to their own property. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating how much this is a slow build. And it's just, it's all about her being likable because it's it's not a year where they awarded most acting. I would say that Deneuve and Pfeiffer have the biggest, most explosive scenes, and they're easily the two least mm-hmm. remarkable movies in the five. And You're right. it's I find the Thompson wins so fascinating because it's almost hard to explain how it happened. She's not like young enough. She's in her thirties here. She's not an ingenue like the boner vote for like a Gina Davis or or an Alicia McCander, but she's not quite do enough. Like I think Susan Sarandon is the one with the Winslet narrative at this point of like when's it gonna happen, and like what what's it gonna take, and it's just the Oscars don't do this often, but this one was really about the acting, and Mm -hmm. it's just nice to see it that she swept the whole season for a role when she was not super established yet. She had been in a couple of Kenneth Branagh movies and uh, Helena Bonham Carter is sort of the woman that Branagh cheats with. And uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of awkward to see the two of them together. Mm-hmm. I-, I mean, one of the best moments from her, like you were saying, because she was pacing her character and, the, and those moments that only really truly called for them. But whenever um, Helen brings uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bass to that wedding, 
And you're like, what the hell are you doing? And the way that Emma Thompson kind of goes off on her and she's like, did you actually think that this was appropriate? Like, I'm asking you, like, did you actually think that this was a good idea? And this is the first time that you see Meg really coming for Helen at all because she's so supportive and loving and empathetic and considerate. But in this case, like Helen fucked up. And um, just the way that everything is just so scandalous, but also like tasteful. I just love, love, love. And um, obviously Emma Thompson, this is some uh, like a genre that she's very comfortable in, um, you know, and like in Sense and Sensibility, uh, for example, like she knows how to play this genre very, very well. But in this particular movie, it's like she's the most likable. And like, and I really agree with you when you say that it's like, yeah, she really paced herself. And then she, she never really had this explosive moment. But when she does have those passionate moments, um, like whenever she's begging um, Henry to let Helen stay at Howard's End, um, even though she's, you know, pregnant with a bastard child. And um, although I will say the thing that killed me about this movie is whenever Mr. Bast at the end dies of a bitch slap. <laughs> yeah, that is wild. It's wild that the whole plot is about Leonard Bast, but the most fleshed out characters seem to be like the Wilcoxes and the Schlegels because their role right. is so mundane and observing, but the best moments in this movie seem to be like the quiet moments, like you say, with Helen uh, sniping about a cup of tea, the moments where the sisters are just like Fraser and Niles, basically. And yeah. <laughs> they're getting their society. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, out. So yeah. And it's just so great to see them together. Emma Thompson in a big moment or in a little moment, they all just feel part of the same tapestry. And it's just, I'm just, so amazed that the entire award season could not deny this thing, even though there were people who were more due or more flashy or more baity. Mm -hmm. Well, when she won, if you've seen the Oscar telecast, when she won, she's genuinely shocked that she won. She's like, oh, <laughs> she's like, yeah, okay. Um, and I just love Emma Thompson. She should have been nominated for Love, actually. And when she's, because she's a writer, you know, and and like she won the Oscar for writing for Sense and Sensibility, but whenever she's she has her Oscar as a, acceptance speech for this movie, she's just so classy and like she's so well spoken and like she's just so smart. And I just I I love Emma Thompson. Me too. I, I love I love Holland's End. I don't love Vanessa Redgrave in this movie because she's basically giving a repeat performance of Julia. Um, right. And I think that. Yeah, Helena Bottom Carter really should have been nominated. I think she has a much more interesting story, you know, especially getting pregnant, having a bastard child, um, and uh, her relationship with Mr. Bast. Um, I loved every character in this movie, and I just, I will definitely be watching this again. And I, I just, I, I think this is so funny because the first time that I watched this movie, I fucking hated it. And as a result, throughout many episodes of this podcast, I always refer to this as the biggest slog. And I always refer to it as Howard's End. And I, I just, I think I'm, I'm at the end of my Howard's End hatred. And I, I, I love it. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, the, it's like it's like the, the house Howard's End has, has grown on you. Also, have you seen uh, Emma Thompson's movie from this current year? Not yet, but I do know that she is up for a couple awards for it. Yeah, good luck to you, Leo Grand. And she's just a woman getting a much younger sex worker and it's all just dialogue between the two of them. Oh my God. She is fantastic. She hasn't been nominated way too long. I want to say since sense and sensibility, which 
yes. feels rude. That's like when the Mr. Rogers movie was <laughs> Tom Hanks' first nomination since Castaway. I'm like, are you sure? You're supposed to love this person. Yeah, right. I, I, wasn't he? Or no, because I think they, they were trying to nominate him for Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, and her, actually. Or Because Emma Thompson's in that, too. But was he nominated for Saving Mr. Banks? No, he he kept getting snubbed, like Sully, Bridge of Spies, Captain Phillips. It's actually wild, uh, considering he has a reputation as someone the Oscars love. He has, like, two this century. I mean, I think it's because they gave him a, a, a double win back-to-back for Forrest Gump. Yep. Because Forrest Gump, like, in hindsight, you're like, okay, maybe it's not this great American classic that everybody thinks that it is. However, I do wish Love Field was about someone who loved Sally Field. That would be more interesting to me. (laughs) (laughs) She has a podcast called Love Field. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay, well, um, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Emma Thompson's performance before we select a winner? Uh, No notes. Uh, She nailed it. She nailed it. Okay. Um, so Josh Murray, you are my guest. So you get to reveal who you think that the Oscar should have gone to first. Who boy. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Emma Thompson. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, why? I agonized. I mean, I was like, especially once it became clear to me, <sighs> I don't know. Emma Thompson, Mary McDonald was a tough call. I even consider Susan Sarandon, but it's mm-hmm. just so undeniable. It's just one of those roles where I, I can totally understand how she swept the season. And it's because I think of actresses who talk about like listening performances, like Dead Man Walking or whatever. Um, and this is such a facial expressions performance to me. It's just, mm. she can't say what she really feels for so much of it. And it builds. And that's why Mary McDonald's my other contender. She even has like an arc to her TV watching in Passion Fish, but mm-hmm. like, which is relatable. But as much as I love that movie, like there's something about this Howard's End acting ensemble and like the whole Merchant Ivory operation when they're at the top of their game. I think this and Maurice are like, and maybe A Room with a View are the ones where it's just like so many different moving parts are clicking. And mm. she is easily the best in the ensemble, even when. Bonham Carter and Hopkins are giving like this near career work and it's just it's she makes it so fun to watch the stuffiest genre and I just love that like I just love the sister relationship and you mostly understand it because of her side of it more than Bonham Carter's um I love that okay I will go ahead and say that I think that the Oscar should have gone to Thompson for Howard's End. And I would just give her the Oscar just for the opening line. I'm having a glorious time. I am engaged to be married. Immediately, I'm hooked because like you're saying, bringing a lot of fun to really stuffy material is probably the best way to put it because, yeah, this type of movie is quite boring. I absolutely hated it the first time. And then I don't know what clicked this time, but I think it was because I didn't have to focus on Vanessa Redgrave anymore. So I was less resentful toward the story. I don't know. But I get it. I totally understand why she swept. And I think for me, I really enjoyed the way that she um, is holding herself back and selectively chooses when she's going to have her big moments 
and fight for things and, and when to fight for things. And, um, you know, the only thing that I thought was weird was at the end, whenever you find out that Vanessa Redgrave's character, or she finds out that Vanessa Redgrave's character actually did give her Howard's end in her will. And then Anthony Hopkins like kind of mentions it to her casually and she just doesn't really seem to care. Uh, what was that? Like, what was that supposed to mean? Like, what was that supposed to represent? Yeah, I feel like I have a bit of an advantage having seen the miniseries and just having seen that scene play in a different way. But I guess it's just she has nothing to say. It's revealed to her by his daughter-in-law in, like, the previous scene. So he's like, okay, I have to address that, like, you know this now. And I right. just thought it was, like, an insignificant thing. And she, I guess it's that it all worked out in the end, but she is, like, the patriarchy, basically. Maybe it's annoying, but, like, at least I'm here. I don't know, though. It's oh. a weird moment. Oh, that is, that is a weird moment. But anyway, amazing performance from her. I totally see, like, why she won. And I definitely, yeah, we got to give it up for Emma Thompson. And I'm glad that she won me over. My second choice would have been Mary McDonald, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that movie just dragged for me. So, and also, Emma Thompson. we had some bad nominees this year. Where was, like, Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct, who had the Globe oh, nom? Totally. Where was Whoopi yeah. and Sister Act? You know, like, we can do better. <laughs> Oh, I, I completely agree. Or even just Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. That's <laughs> like, what she just... should have been up for. I love Meryl Streep in Death Becomes Her. It's a strong year, but uh, in back in the day, uh, they didn't always acknowledge their strong years. And they're like, well, it has to be a period piece or uh, we're not going to remember you. 100%. Okay. Well, Josh Murray, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. We'll definitely have to have you back. Where can people find you on social media? I am uh, Mosh Jury on everything. I will also plug uh, Passion Fish. I played the anal probe. How <laughs> was the fish? <laughs> um, well, that is a fantastic visual uh, to end on. Thank you so much, Josh, and we'll have you back. Bye. Bye. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.